0: Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Living It Up podcast where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we sit down with Bob Herrig, who writes for Sports Illustrated and recently authored Tiger and Phil Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Bob has a unique position uh, in the game of golf. He has covered, in a very straightforward way, the saga that has played out over the last year plus between Live and the PJ Tour. And that's particularly important to us since we started this podcast to take a dispassionate view of the changing landscape of golf. And, you know, we like to say we call balls and strikes on live and the PJ Tour with equal gusto. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction, the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. You know you need some gear to better manage the elements. So head to zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for a very generous 30% off your purchase. This is Brian, and I'm joined by George and PJ Tour veteran Billy Hurley III, Let's start with you, George. What do you think of this uh chat upcoming with Bob Harrod?
1: uh it was great. Bob is extremely thoughtful and has been one of the very few uh people in the golf media to really report fairly on both sides uh he's he does a lot with the PGA tour he's done a lot uh with live and and he 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 really shares sort of like how he has approached live with a genuine curiosity to see where it's going and getting to know it and understand it. And he talks very openly about what it's done well and what it still needs to do uh, to, to have uh, a success this year. So I, I thought he was fantastic.
2: Yeah. What really jumped out to me is just how genuine he is and how easy to talk to he is. And, and so it's no surprise, um, you know, sitting down with him for this amount of time. I mean, I've run into him along the way, you know, on tour, but, but never at, at this length and, it's it's no surprise the access that he's gotten to to both tours to stars on on both sides and stars superstars along the way just with how genuine and easy to talk to he is so um I think you really enjoy hearing his thoughts about uh about live about about the tour about what what coexistence could or could not look like uh when we when we get into it
0: yeah, I totally agree. It's going to be cool because I think I joked on the back end, we could have done a podcast on each of the kind of segments that we had with Bob, but it was great to just get his reactions and perspective on a lot of these topics. And so without any further ado, let's jump to this wide ranging chat with Bob Herrig. Bob Herrig, thank you for joining the Living Up podcast. We're really excited to chat. And I think the timing of our conversation is is really, really good because we're just getting started and getting some details on the 2023 Live event calendar. We're in the midst of the, the PJ Tour's West Coast swing. You know, and, and I think it's actually a good opportunity. We'll try to frame the conversation maybe as partly a look back and, and a look back at things that have transpired and also a look forward to to you know how the PJ Tour and Live may uh may or may not coexist, you know, going forward in the future. And so I'll maybe start with this question. A, a lot's transpired, you know, between announcements, suspensions, lawsuits, policy changes across, you know, competing tours. I'm curious to get your thoughts on like what have been perhaps the best and worst moves made by, by live in the PGA tour.
3: Well, you know, I think um, probably for Liv, the best move that they made was just to get off the ground, you know, just to get started was such a huge thing for them. They, uh, there were so many doubts and they managed to put a schedule together and play eight events. You know, it's pretty impressive. Anybody who knows what goes into putting on a regular golf tournament uh, you know, it's a year round proposition. You know, these these tournaments on the PJ Tour, you know, you know, Pebble Beach and Riviera, Genesis Invitational, they have they have uh, full time staffs that work on it, you know, all year and and live put together a schedule last March of eight events and kind of had to do it themselves. So that was really impressive. They got started. They got some main players. They, um, you know, they played golf. Um, their biggest mistake, I think, frankly, is in the off season here, they had meddling, they had meddling from, from, you know, their, their Saudi bosses, they had a schedule ready to go. And at no point was the, a a tournament in Saudi on the schedule. And when it finally came out, there is one on the schedule. And so they're going to play their last team event. The one that actually came off pretty well at Doral is now going to be in Saudi before no fans and no buzz. You know so I, I think they made a big mistake there they've lost they lost some of their momentum here uh, in the off season. there's been a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on they've delayed their schedule they've delayed announcing players it took them a while to get their TV deal done all things that were expected to happen earlier and hasn't given them a nice run-up to their first event now maybe maybe when they do uh, start off in Mexico they'll they'll do so with a bang but um, I think they lost a little bit there and it's going to be interesting to see now how how that all transpires and and how they can maybe turn that um, that uh, that sort of negative into a positive if, if if at all
2: what surprised you the most bob be it the from the last year you know staying in this lane of kind of live versus pga tour from from either side or both sides what what was one of the more surprising things that you found
3: you know i mean i think there's a couple of things it's still hard to believe that phil mickelson missed the masters in the pga last year as the reigning pga champion you know you just wrap your arms around that thought you know less than two years ago phil was on top of the world as a major champion at age 50 and now you've got a segment of the golf you know populace who who's just so down on him for all of this you know he could have rode off and been been a hero forever uh based on that pga win obviously is a huge cap to his career a sixth major and you know, he was already in the Hall of Fame, but like that sort of pushed him up a notch or two. You know, you, probably you could make the argument that Phil's among the top 10 players all time. I'm not sure you could have done that before that win. And now his whole being is centered around this incredible controversy. I mean, it's still hard to believe to me that that is where we are at right now with that. Um, you know, I, I think another surprising thing is is, um, you know, a little bit the PJ Tour's um, sensitivity on all of this. You know, the Tour has a great product. They always have. Could it be better? Absolutely. They made some changes. They seemed very, very, you know, um, threatened. And I'm surprised they felt so threatened because, you know, it's still going to be there. They You know, they didn't get everybody they didn't get all the top players. If anything, what's happened now is there's been some room created for more stars to emerge. Uh, and yet they keep fighting it tooth and nail and sometimes putting themselves, I think in a bad light. I mean, this thing that just came out where, um, you know, if you're a non-member and you play in a live event, you're not going to be able to play in a tour event for a year. I I, did, I don't get that. Frankly. I mean, I understand why, if you're a member, you can't play and live. There are rules. This is what I tell the live people all the time. Oh, well, why can't you play both? Well, because as a PJ tour member and Billy, you would know this better than anybody. You had rules. You signed something that said you were going to play 15 events. And if you wanted to play outside of that, you needed to ask for permission. And they would give you three pretty much um, without question. But beyond that, they were going to question you on it because this is what they've sold to their sponsors and their media partners. They wanna be able to tell them that we're, we're gonna have you a representative number of times. And they, they, frankly, they owned your media rights. Well, so how would anybody think that you could then just say, well, I'll play my 15 on the PJ Tour, but I'll go play 14 for them. I mean, the rules, just the way they're set up, aren't gonna really allow it. They've never allowed domestic events. Uh, So I get that part. But if I'm an amateur right now, and I just don't feel like my game's ready to go try to get on the PGA Tour, and Liv offers me a spot for a year, and I know I could make over a million dollars minimum just by playing and getting some experience, and then maybe I'd go to Q school, but they're not going to let me for a year after that just because I went and played for them. That, That to me is... I'm surprised by that. Like, I, I just think they should they should be bigger than that. Above that, they're better than that. You know, if anything, wouldn't you wouldn't it look good for the tour if a guy came over from Live and said, you know what, I'm going to turn my back on that and come to the tour? So, those are a couple of the things that still that stand out to me.
0: Uh, I'm curious, Bob, to get your thoughts. You, you talked earlier, just you know, getting off the ground maybe was uh, you know successful, but I'm curious, would you characterize Live in year one? as a successful venture do you do you think it's it's one of those things that has over exceeded the expectations that maybe you or others in
3: in the media or in the golf ecosystem imagined if you're being honest i think you have to say that i mean they've taken a lot of shots um you know uh oh you know nobody cares about 54 hole events or shotgun starts or you know it's not competitive i mean you know look that's just not true you know i i mean we can poke holes in some of those things. Is, is it as competitive as the Players' Championship or the Memorial? No, of course not. But, you know, is the Hero World Challenge competitive with 20 players? What about the Tour Championship with only 30? So they have 48. The DP World Tour Final had 50. You know, I mean, the number I don't think is that big of a deal. I don't think 54 holes is that big of a deal. You know, we're not talking about major championships or, or the players, the Memorial, the Bay, Bay Hill we're talking about alternative format there that I think works sometimes, you know, the, in the NCAAs, they play 54 holes for the individual title the LPJ has three or four 54 hole events. Um, College events have some 54 hole events. It's not the end of the world. I mean, is it the best way to decide a winner? Probably no, but it's not the worst way. You know, the worst way would be 18 holes. You know, 54 holes is Okay. Uh, yeah, I think Sam Snead has six or eight 54-hole wins on his, on his 82 wins. Uh, um, you know, I, you look at tennis. You know, they, they play three sets, the men do, all the time until the majors. Nobody looks at the record any differently because it was only three sets. So I think some of the, some of the negativity towards them is, is uh, you know, is unfounded. Uh, they, they, they have plenty to criticize, obviously, the funding source is 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 going to always be a problem It's going to bother people uh but to make fun of their format i mean they they wanted to be different they didn't want to be the same you know and so from that angle yeah i think they were success i went to a handful of their tournaments and you know once they started it was golf you know the the setup of these events was nice the the infrastructure you know the presentation they had nice fan areas they you know, um, you know, they had music playing, which is a, a different than what we're used to. Um, you have to get used to a shotgun start. But I mean, the cool thing is, is once they start, every player that you want to see is out there. You know, like if you showed up at one o'clock at a PJ Tour event, you might have missed somebody. You know, it's not going to be the case there. So that's that is one of the, their selling points. That's one of the things that they have tried to push forward as a as, as a
1: positive for them. You know, we, we talk, you just talked about some of the things the, the tour has done in response to this. And, you know, early on, it seemed like a lot of the players sort of fell in line with that. Mm. Um, I guess the rhetoric or the, the talking points. Have you gotten a sense as this has played out now for coming up on a full year? Are there are there some players that are starting to be unhappy with the way the tours responded to this?
3: I, if, if there's anything that's that they're unhappy about, it might just be that they didn't do some of these things sooner.
1: Um,
3: you know, this this idea of a rival tour did not just crop up a year ago or even 18 months ago. Um, there was a forerunner to live golf called the PGL Premier Golf League, which basically some of the people who work for live worked for them. And they broke off and it's basically the same concept. It was 54 holes. It was minimum you know, big purses, uh, some contracts for players, never to the level that we got to, frankly. I don't think anybody was going to be making the money that, that's, that you're seeing thrown around now. But there was guarantees, and that this is the crux of it to me, uh, guaranteed money. We're talking about a commercial enterprise here uh, where um, the stars of the show are not guaranteed anything. You know, I mean, where else does that happen? Uh, You know, George Clooney doesn't agree to make a movie and only get paid on the box office receipts. You know, he's getting paid up front, too. You know, and maybe he makes some on the back end. Every every player in sports has some sort of guarantee. Even in tennis, you get paid if you are a first round loser. In golf, you show up on Tuesday to practice. You pay your own way there you play in the pro-am, which they sell tickets to, you play the first two rounds. And if you don't score well enough, you're, you're going home with zero, you know, and I just think in today's sporting landscape with, with the way that these, you know, so much money that changes hands up for TV and sponsors that you wouldn't get anything. And yet you were part of the show selling the tickets just doesn't sit right with some guys. Um, And so That's what live was sort of filling the void there. Now, the tour has come back with this $500,000 minimum, which I think is a great starting point. It's not guaranteed money in the sense that that, um, you know, you still have to go earn beyond it. But if you're a rookie starting out, at least you've got some money in the bank to help you get going. Uh, You know, Steph Curry's on a private jet that's catered. He's in a five star hotel. Um, all his meals are paid for in addition to the $52 million he makes plus the uh, endorsement stuff. You know, golfers don't have that. And, and while I'm not trying to equate golfers to NBA players, I do think that when you're part of a, a commercial show that's, you know, it is entertainment. It's not just sports. It's entertainment. That was where there was a disconnect. And that's why something like Live. Uh, could even have a chance. And now the tour has stepped up with some of these programs that are going to get the stars paid better, compensated better. Um, you know, it, I think it's, you could easily make the argument that Tiger was underpaid despite making $120 million on the PJ Tour. You know, um, look at what he brought. The thought, the the fact that Tiger could could tee off on Thursday and be guaranteed nothing compared to, and, you know, the guy who's 150th, um, and he has to beat him to get paid better. Uh, I, while that's, there's, there's some romanticism in that with sports, it's not really realistic in terms of the, you know, the financial ramifications of what we're dealing with.
2: I've always said I'm so envious of those teams athletes who have, you know, guaranteed money and per diem and, you know, the, 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 the charter jet and the the five-star hotel that you talked about, you know, we stayed at a five-star hotel like once a year or something because, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all on your own dime. So you're doing it, doing it quite differently. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point about the nature of golf versus other sports.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, and, and again, part of golf's charm is that you, you earn what you make, right? You play for it. There is, there is that pressure. And I get that. I think that's, I get, I think that's a a neat part of it, but to get nothing, you know, I mean, to go home, you know, guys come out on tour and, and, and go broke and they're, and they're tour players. They've earned their way out there. You know, the lowest guy in major league baseball, isn't going to go broke. He's making 575 a year or something like that. He's as, if he's if he's on a major league roster, then and, and they travel. He, you know, they he doesn't have to pay to travel with the team. Um, you know, he can he can actually come out of that and, and be ahead. Uh, a pro golfer can start out and 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 be behind, and even the top guys. And look, I get it. You know, did did Phil, did DJ, Sergio, do these guys need the money? You know, no. And this is why there's backlash. They didn't need the money, but yet, you know, they. They spend a lot of money to get to to get to events, to do to do their job. And, you know, is that right? I don't know. They've found a way now where they're not going to have to do that.
1: Yeah, I I always found some of the the backlash or talking about the guaranteed money to be a little disingenuous, particularly from, you know, I'd say players in the top 30 in the world, because with endorsements and everything else, they they are showing up, they're guaranteed money. It doesn't show up at on the leaderboard per se, but they, they are playing to win, not playing to eat. The guys lower uh, for sure are, are playing to eat. And that, that makes sense. And this goes back when we were talking about the, you mentioned the young amateur who might want to go try and live for a year to get used to the, the pro-life before trying to go to Q school. And I, I think one of the things that has to look really good to an amateur or college kid coming out who's had travel planned for them they show up the hotels are all taken care of is that Liv is doing that Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they're doing it for year two I thought I heard there might be some changes to the the team setup and you know whether there's the jet that's taking everybody to each event and so on but that piece of having the logistics of going to 14 tournaments taking care of for them makes has to make a lot of sense to uh, a kid who to your point might not Think they're ready for the tour, but they're ready to compete at a high level, and that's why this this rule seems just bizarre and very a, a very scared thing for the tour to do.
3: Well, let me just go back to what you said at the beginning about the endorsements. You're right about that. I mean, it's not like the top guys were hurting. You know, Dustin Johnson could go to, you know, say the Pebble Beach this week, where he actually he's won twice. And fly a private jet and have it cost you know, bring his trainer, a chef, you know, whatever is going to cost him a lot of money. He obviously can afford it. I would, but I would also argue that people of that stature in, in team sports, they also have endorsements. So like, I'm just sort of zeroing in on what you're compensated for within the arena and compared to other sports, you're not getting that there is no guarantee, you know, yes, there is the guarantee outside. I mean, Tiger was never going to have a problem. You know, he's making plenty of money, but that it's sort of that's sort of not the point in my mind. You know, the, the point is, is what you're being compensated for within the arena um, to your thing about starting out. I mean, um, you know, look, you, again, there's a lot of we can poke holes in a lot of things about live, but they have offered an opportunity. Now they've offered they've offered some younger players an opportunity to experience pro golf without the financial pressure. And, you know, I, I say, okay, also that creates more opportunity on the other tours because those guys aren't taking up spots there. You know, the, it's competitive now. I mean, look how deep it goes on the Corn Ferry Tour, the Challenge Tour in Europe. Uh, I mean, Andy Ogletree, who won the uh, US Amateur several years ago uh, and couldn't get on the Corn Ferry Tour. You know, decided to go play a live event, only played one, finished dead last, got ridiculed. But because of that, they gave him spots in those international series events and he won one. He won in Egypt. So now he's a he's a fully exempt player on the Asian tour. Well, you know, he took advantage of an opportunity. There's there's only so many spots. It's very, very competitive. So uh, these guys have opened up a few more. I mean, I, I would think that the golf world would welcome that again, I recognize the negatives, you know, it's, it's hard to see the PGA tour, uh, you know, which has been a mainstay and done so much good uh, take, take heat. Um, I I, I just think there doesn't have to be that you could, you could have both frankly, but there's obviously there's so much rhetoric going between both sides and there's a lot of tension and, and ill will that um, you know until that subsides. I think it's going to be hard for people to see it that way.
2: Yeah, I've always said golf's the worst numbers game on earth. You know, there's sixteen hundred guys who just finished up an NFL season. You know, with a couple of games, with the Super Bowl remaining. But you know, there's six hundred and fifty in baseball, four hundred and twenty in the NBA, and you got one hundred and fifty six teeing it up this week mm-hmm. on the PGA Tour. You know, as a, I mean, tennis may be similar, but but golf is just a terrible numbers game from a professional sports you know arena and so there's no no question about that
3: yeah it is it's tough and i mean you know uh uh and at, at the lower levels you know the pl- where where they're where they tr- they've tried to pr- provide more playing opportunities with the corn Ferry, and then we have these other tours like in canada and and south america um you know there's not enough money to make a living you know so it's it's cutthroat. It's difficult, and so now you have this entity come along that's got an endless stream of money that's offering it, and it's kind of hard to to not blame people, I think, for looking at that. Uh, you know, the political uh, ramifications aside, I mean, it's a it's an opportunity that's incredibly lucrative, and and I think anybody presented with it, hard pressed to not at least think about it.
0: Yeah, I think famously in talking about the the youth, we've talked about this a lot on the pod that you know, many of the arguments in the years to come between Live and the PJ Tour is about the pipeline of talent. That's where I think you see this, what we characterize it as a defensive move to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, bar folks for one year if they play these unauthorized events. You see it with, as you mentioned, Andy Ogletree, but Eugenio Shakara, a young player, you know, in the in the top part of his of the college game, win on live, you know, do well. Uh, James Pyatt, I think it was actually an SI article. So, had yeah. to, to you guys that got some quotes from from these folks talking about maybe their agents had secured, you know, they were off limits because they were non members. But I wanted to maybe pivot to a guy that's been a central character. And obviously, he's a central character for you. you you've written a book about uh, the rivalry between Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Phil has become this caricature, one could say, of himself in the last year. You noted this at the top, you know, with you know almost like mythologic. Uh, greatness at the pga championship in, in 2021 all the way to now where you know he 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 tends to make these statements you had the opportunity to sit down with him and the questions that he wanted to answer like we're, we're trying to look back he doesn't want to look back at all he wants to move on and, and talk about the future i'm curious about phil and his legacy and how you believe like how he'll weather this storm that he helped create
2: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, right now, it, it, I, I think you could you could argue that he's that he's tarnished his legacy. Um, you know, now maybe time will will let that heal. Maybe some things will emerge that will show that, you know, that that he had a point or that that some of the things he was fighting for um, were valid. I think Phil believes that. You know, Phil has this didn't just happen. You know, Phil again. I talked to him the other day and. And he was like, you know, I've been so close to this and I know so much about it. I just couldn't help myself. You know, he's like, he was all, and, and there was like a frustration level to him. I think Phil rightly or wrongly has always felt that the tour could do better by the players, especially the star players. Now, look, Phil's looking out for the star players. If Phil had his way, the tour wouldn't have been 47 events. It would have been 25. Hey, if you're not good enough, too bad. Well, that's not really the tour, though. The tour's mandate has always been: if they're a member organization, you know, their their goal has to has been to provide playing opportunities across a wide spectrum and and have charity charitable dollars across the country. You know, they have a full almost a year long schedule. I mean, there's a balance probably in there somewhere. I think we all have agreed that there's been too much golf, but for a guy who's struggling to make it out there, that's not a great answer. So where do you where do you fall? Is it the commercial aspect where less is more? And you know, one of the reasons we love the NFL is after the Super Bowl we don't have it again until September. We can't wait for it to come back, and there's a long period to miss it, you know. And they they tease us throughout with you know transactions and free agency and trades and minicamp and all that. In golf, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, look, we are uh, what this week is what the the fifth week of of twenty uh. Um, 2023 it's the 14th week of the PJ tour schedule because we have a wraparound schedule we still got another what's eight weeks to the masters i mean you're going to play 20 some odd events before you get to the masters i mean it's how can the events of the fall and obviously this is going away you know it's not going to be this way after this year how can those events in the fall have meaning you know, they just, they just, they can't, there's so many of them. It's hard to have meaning. So Phil had a point in that regard. And he always felt that the stars were undercompensated. Um, now would have there have been a, would there have been a way to have a 25 event schedule and still have maybe a, a more robust corn fairy tour with bigger purses and what have you? I don't know. You know, if it were up to Phil, no, Phil hated opposite events. Phil thought, why are we subsidizing those tournaments? This is the big tournament right now where the stars are. Why would we do that? Nobody's watching that. Obviously, that's a different mindset than a guy who's struggling to keep his card. But that's how he felt. And he thought the tour had plenty of money to make it happen. And I think he took a little bit of vindication out of what happened when they came up with all these designated events and increased all these purses because it's sort of what he was preaching.
2: So let's, let's shift here and, and look going forward, Bob. What, mm-hmm. what um, you know, we're, we're talking here, it's uh, February 2nd. So we've got, what, three weeks until Live starts their season in, in Mexico, as you noted earlier. And what do they have to do this year in 2023 to be deemed a success again?
3: I think they need to show that they've got some support. That they've got some commercial support. That they've got some sponsors. Um, that that they're getting some ads on their TV broadcasts. I know you know the CW has been mocked as well, but it's actually a pretty good um, landing spot for them. All things considered, I mean I, I don't know what people expected them to get. They weren't going to get on ESPN, CBS, or NBC or Golf Channel, um, and and you know. Uh, USA and TNT uh, TBS are sort of intertwined with with those bigger networks they weren't going to get on there so what were their choices Fox they had talked to apparently wanted them to pay for the airtime they didn't want to do that who can blame them i don't want i don't blame them the CW actually is in more than 100 markets in the US or uh, i think it's 120 and they and they have like 100 you know they have like 100 million homes that's more than the golf channel it's more than ESPN That doesn't mean they're going to get that many viewers, but at least gives them an opportunity. So I think they need to make a little bit of a, you know, of a impact on TV. They need to bring on some sponsors, um, you know, and I think they have to fully try to get people to understand this team concept. I'm still trying to wrap my arms around it. How is it going to work? What will I mean, this is their business plan, the team. They think they're going to sell These franchises. They think they will have owners that will give them an infusion of cash, which is which would wean Liv off of having to pay for everything. It's just like, you know, the NFL doesn't pay for a for player travel. The teams do. Well, right now, Liv is paying all the bills. Well, they want somebody else to come on board and do that. Well, to do that, you've got to, I think, get this concept for for people to understand. I think we as Americans are having a hard time understanding. Uh, the golf team concept they've tried to formulate this after formula one. Um, I've heard these stories about cricket um, where, you know, cricket is the traditional cricket is a five-day sport. They knew they had to, they had to change to, to grow their audience. And so now there's a one-day cricket, you know, and this is, this is sort of what they're, they're trying to appeal to, to, to a broader group of people. I think they need to get this message out and have people understand that, you know, it's more than just these random guys playing for the four aces, you know, there needs to be some recognition of these teams and players and who they're with. And, you know, can they do that in this year? I don't know. I think that's, I think that's a big part of their mission is to take this a step forward because they want these franchises to be valuable. You know, they, they, they don't want to sell them for a million dollars or $5 million. They're looking to get way more than that. And, uh, Uh, you know the ones that buy in and and understand how this works and get the public to understand you know the the quicker that happens the better it'll be for them
2: yeah we've said on the pod uh, that we feel like Liv needs to elevate the team portion they need they need to kind of like make that a bigger deal week in and week out I think they did it nicely at uh, Doral and their season Mm -hmm. ending you know championship last year Uh, but like some of what what we've posited is is change the purse structure to where more money's going to the team event mm-hmm. and less money's going to the individual event and, and and I've said from the from the get go here with Live is they should you know round one count two scores round two count three scores and the final round this is professional golf and we're playing at a high level everybody counts
3: yeah sure and, why not and just
2: we're not throwing anybody out and you got to go grind out your seventy six. Or whatever after getting off to a bad start because your team needs you and and this is this is professional golf. I think some of those things would give them a little bit more credibility in the in the competition space too.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's so odd is, you know, for all the money that they're throwing around, only five million dollars goes to the teams and only the top three spots. You know, there's a bunch of teams that made no prize money. And 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 the way that these teams are supposed to operate is based on prize money and selling sponsorships and tickets or whatever. And you would think that they'd want to expand that a little bit. Why not pay six of the 12 teams? You know, why not make it 10 million, you know, throw in an extra 5 million. They can clearly do it and have that spread out a little bit more and and make it, it, it would make it more competitive. You know, if you're way out of it after day one, you've got very little to play for on the team side of it. But if there's six, if six spots are getting paid, you're not so far out of it. I think, I think that's something they could do and, and push it. I, I, with you, I mean, at least they, you know, halfway through they went to three team scores every day. It started as two, and then three on the last day. Now it's three every day. Um, you know, uh, they, they need to probably do a better job of highlighting this when they're on TV or on their scoreboards. You know, it's it's hard to follow the team component. You've they've got to figure out a way to get that message across. So, um. That's, I think, a big part of this year, and it's going to be interesting to see what their messaging is on that. One
0: thing, Bob, you talked about is the commercial support. Uh, you know, famously, there's been a lot of guys that have lost sponsors, but we've yet to see guys lose equipment sponsors. There's sort of been a certain sort of cadre of sponsors that have that have maybe moved off of live players, but the equipment sponsors have not. It, to go back to your point on franchises, there's been a lot of, uh, we've developed this term like, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see if that works because it sounds good on paper, but it's one of those things that needs some early adopters to take the plunge and then others will follow suit. So my question goes, are are you hearing that there's some commercial support brewing, you know, who are going to be perhaps those early adopters that get it to a place where, you know, maybe others want to jump in and take
3: the risk. From what I gather, the team of, of um, Westwood, Poulter, Stenson, and, and Horsefield, They're the Majestics. They, they have like a guy who is their general manager. Like they've already started putting some of these things in place. You know, they've hired some people, support. Um, they're working on sponsorships. I don't know if they'll have any by the first event. Uh, but, it, you know, it was explained to me that, you know, the, the players have tried to clear the deck for their own individual stuff so that they can have, you know, like, let's say just pick a company that's going to be a logo on the shirt. That would be a logo on everybody's shirt. It would go into the team pool, you know, uh, same thing with the golf bags. Um, And, you know, maybe there'd be an an overall sponsor of the team that you would see perhaps, you know, on their team room or, or when they're, you know, when they're mentioned or what have you. These are all things that I think once one or two of them Gets going with that, maybe the others follow suit. I don't, I don't know how much farther along the other teams are. It, my understanding is we're, they're going to have the same twelve captains that they did, but there's going to be some changes in the teams. Like I don't think Phil's team is all the same. Uh, we, all, I think we already know that the four aces, like Taylor Gooch, is moved on to somebody else, and they're going to fill in somebody. They've kept this all very hush hush, um, and frankly, you know that's a big part of the team idea is like, will they allow for trade say, will they allow for some sort of movement? Um, you know, whether it be during season or in the off season, I think during the season would be, you know, that'd be awesome. You know, what, if, what if a guy, you know, got traded from one team to the other, it's, it gives them something to talk about. It gives them something that you don't have in, in, in golf really. Listen, I've been a big proponent I, of, of, um, you know, why not uh, with their 48 players? You know, so you almost have to go in threes. Well, why not add two teams every week of three players each? No fourth guy, have them qualify. They're the, the, the ultimate underdog team every week. So you'd have six Monday qualifiers who get in and you divide them up into two teams, the longest of long shots to win as a team. But if those guys do anything as individuals, you know, look at look at the opportunity they'd have. You know it, it would get us every week wondering, wow, I wonder who might get in. Frankly, I think it would help them with the world rankings, too, you know, to have open qualifying every week. So I just think there's a lot of things they can do um, that that are gonna that would pique our interest, and it's all a matter of you know how do they present it and how do how to how do they get that story told? because because right now it's murky. you know, I, I don't think the average guy out there really understands, they scoff at the, idea, wait a minute, somebody's going to buy one of these golf teams. They're going to pay a hundred million dollars or whatever the number is. You know, they, they just can't, they can't, they don't see how that can work. They need to show
2: us how it can work. Yeah. We've said how they don't have 54 players is just baffling. Right. Like, like, <laughs> right. like you know, like, well, <laughs> I mean, we're that's, that's 54 holes. We're playing. Yeah. I mean, right. like, I mean,
3: that's, you know, and frankly, 54 hole 54 players gives them a group on every tee. Like one of the things I noticed is that like, If you're a, they, they do a nice job of having kind of these viewing areas. And, and like, you know, I remember like at one tournament, there was a really nice one behind the 10th tee, very nice structure with hospitality. And you can look right down on the tee, look right out down the fairway. And I went up there once to just talk to some people and see what was going on. And I just happened to come there at a point where there was a lull, And it was like a half hour before the next group came. And it just so happened that because, there was only sixteen groups. There was there was a, a gap. All right. Well, why not have eighteen groups? Eighteen groups of three. I realize that doesn't work with four man teams, which is why I said a th- I sort of threw out. Okay, have two three man teams. That's you're now every score has to count. You're it's you're it's you're the total underdog. You, you the deck is stacked. But so what? I think people would enjoy that. You know, I think that's part, that would be part of it. it it's sort of like the whole relegation thing in soccer, you know, the, the teams at the bottom have to really, really fight harder to move up. And, you know, th- those teams would change every week based on who qualified or they could do a thing where if a guy finished in the top 10, just like the tour does, he gets to play next week, the next week, and he gets a spot on the team. There, there's so many ways they could do this if they wanted to and get creative. And again, I think, you know, the whole world ranking issue i think it goes away if they do those things if they have a cut and they have qualifying it's hard I, I think it's hard to deny them points you know they've already been they've already been hurt but with a small field smaller fields are getting less points because people will keep saying well you know they only have 48 players that's not fair i go no it's why they're getting way less points and if you have a cut You know, that's no different than, you know, look, the tour championship doesn't have a cut. Every player in the tour championship gets world ranking points. It's just that the way that the system has been has been changed, they get less. Uh, And so if you're a live player, you're not going to just be climbing the world rankings into the majors uh, just because you're finishing 20th every week. You're going to have to play. You're probably going to have to be in the top three or four to get any significant points because there'll be so many less than than a regular tour
1: event. Yeah, we've actually talked about the OWGR thing at length, and I've kind of landed that I think Live is better off not getting points right now because it puts a lot of pressure and skepticism onto the value of the OWGR across the board. Um, you know, people comment: "Is is Dustin Johnson really the forty fourth best player in the world?" Um, and it, it's hard to say that he's he is. You know, he's got to be even even a bad Dustin is probably top 20. Um, and so we we've talked about that they may be better off staying out and letting the rest of the golf world kind of look at OWGR and decide, do we really still need this? Cause it, it is missing a huge portion of stars.
3: The the longer, the longer it goes, the, the more you're going to see that. I mean, Phil said it in the interview I had with him the other day, you know, that, you know, it, it's it's becoming, it, it's not be, it's it's becoming less credible when you're not having all these players ranked. I mean, um, you know, like you just said, Dustin's not the 44th best player in the world. At worst, he's 20th. You know, he had slid down a little bit before Live, and then he had a pretty good Live season. Obviously, he won a tournament. He was top five four or five times. He finished seventh at St Andrews. You know, I mean he he should be higher than he is cam smith is probably about where he should be maybe a, a spot higher um but the other guys are going to keep dwindling i mean look at what reed just did you know say what you want about patrick and all the stuff i mean he he just by by uh you know with the second place finish in dubai i believe he moved back into the top 60 um you know he he, he showed himself pretty well there you know i i I think the idea that these guys aren't competitive is, is, is a myth. You know, there's plenty of them that are, that are, that are really good and, and uh, they, they deserve something. But to your point, the longer this goes on, the more the world rankings become less of a, less of a thing. And maybe there's something else. The problem is they're controlled by the majors and, and the two biggest tours. Why would they want that to go away? So, you know, it, you, it's going to be a tough struggle to get the majors to go with some other world ranking system that they're not involved in. And frankly, that's probably the problem with the world ranking system. You've got all the powers that be in the game involved and they never envisioned a rival, which is why we're at where we're at. You know, It's why the world ranking system has some flaws because it's not really meant to accredit somebody that might be stepping on your turf. It, it's meant to bring them in at a lower level and be a, be a feeder into a different tour. It's not meant to be a competing tour. So it's, you know, really, it's incredible to think of all the things that have come up like this in the past year that, that uh, frankly, you know, none of us ever really gave much thought to.
1: Yeah. I I personally believe if, if the live guys perform well at the majors, uh, there definitely are a handful of them that can rightfully contend to win one Um, that if, if they were to win one or two of the majors, I think the OWGR, becomes significantly irrelevant by not ranking them because it shows that there clearly is a tremendous hole in, in what they're ranking.
3: No question. I mean, anytime, anytime a live guy can win an event outside of live right now is going to be huge for them. I mean, they're playing in Saudi this week. It's the Asian tours, biggest tournament. Um, Obviously it's filled with a bunch of live guys. The odds are pretty good for them. Um, That helps. Um, it would have been a huge boost for them to have Reed win in Dubai and beat Rory. Um, I think even having him finish second was a boost. They had, you know, Poulter was up there. Uh, Richard Bland was up there. He was the second round leader. Uh, Bernd Wiesberger had a pretty good week. Um, you know, so uh, I think the idea, and, and you know, I, I find it petty when they, you know, look, I love Rory. He's been great. He answers our questions I, I I never want to knock a guy for speaking his mind, but, you know, he, he's been a little petty about the 54 whole thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that's the argument, you know, like I don't think that's where you knock live, you know, I, there's,
1: there's other ways if you want to. And, but that's, you know, that to me is not part of it. You and I are of extraordinary like minds there. <laughs> so you, you had mentioned um, you used the term myth and, one of the what I think has been one of the big myths is: do, do you really, or how many people that you've talked to really believe that live is an existential threat to golf?
3: Well, I think I think that the reason that that is out there is because we're dealing with an entity that is not like us, right? You know, the motives of 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 the Saudis are a lot different, you know. And you know, do they care about the game? They care about their own interests. And this is where, you know, people have a right to be concerned or push back or what have you. Like, are they going to, are they okay with just being as Norman has said, additive? That's what Norman says all the time. We just want to be additive. Well, you are additive right now. Like, so in a way you've won, but yet they kind of keep pushing beyond that. Like, well, what do you want? You want to be able to have your players play on both tours? Well, I mean, I think just common sense, sense says that's difficult. It's difficult to play 29 events, which is what you'd have to do if you were playing both tours. Why would the PJ Tour want to give up their guys for that many tournaments? They'd have to have less tournaments to, to make it work. I mean, eight would have been fine, actually. 14's tough, you know? And so, so in that regard, the, the reason I think there's a threat is because there's a sense that they don't want to stop at 14. They might want to have more tournaments. They might want to expand their fields. Um, you know, They might want to have this team concept where guys don't play every week. Uh, so I think that is the threat that we're talking about here. And when you're, th- when you're spending this kind of money, um, which is way, way beyond what anybody ever dreamed of a few years ago. You know, the story I had heard back before Live was that the PGL wanted to have 12 team captains and they were going to pay them $50 million each. So, so $600 million. And that was to get off the ground. And then there would be substantially lower amounts to fill out the teams, but that what they'd be playing for, for um, a minimum amount every week with no cut, there would be, you would be guaranteed to make a lot of money. This has gone way beyond that. Obviously, you know when you you've got whatever a handful of guys getting a hundred million plus up front, you've got some lower level guys getting that fifty million that we're talking about. You know, guys that probably um, don't deserve that in, in terms of their market share or their or their commercial value, but live overpaid to get them. So it's it's. And, and and having that kind of money, you know, again, this team thing that we're talking about, they they live live can sustain if, if they have the patience can sustain losses and 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 basically prop these teams up if they're not profitable, you know. In in the NFL, if the team's not profitable, which is almost impossible now, um, you know, the leagues leagues typically don't want to have to like shore them up; they let them go bankrupt, you know. So that's not really a problem here. So. I think that's the threat we're talking about and the dividing of the game. Um, it's going to make for the great majors this year, but, you know, I still think, God, it's kind of sad to think we're not going to see Bryson and Brooks playing in a tournament with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, except the majors, you know, and, and I have no answer to, to make it work. I, I have no problem with the tour protecting its turf PJ tour, but yet by the same token, I'd still like to somehow see a way where they play
2: together more often. So how much do you think the tour kind of caused this problem that we're talking about in, in the sense that they they really can't um, play both tours as as it sits today and does live, grow and become a 30 event season or or, or whatever down the road. But if they truly wanted to be additive, let's just assume we're going to take Greg at his word, and they started at eight events and realized that there was no way for them to play anywhere else other than those eight so we're going to have to create more tournaments for our players. Like if, if there was a like, did the tour force them to go bigger in a, in a sense and, and, and lose the ability to ever be additive and work together?
3: Actually, though, you know, their their plan all along was 14. Um, PGL wanted to do 18, you know, and so I don't know how you do that within the same structure.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, that doesn't work
3: you know um but if you wanted to be part of the structure let's say let's say there was no lawsuits and everybody got along all right in theory what you could do is let's say you had eight live events and you you allowed pj tour players to be part of live okay so in other words live could take everybody they could take the top 48 guys and divide them into 12 teams however they wanted to do it they could give them X number of whatever minimum amount of money just to be part of it. You play eight events, whatever. All right, well, the tour could insist that you play those eight events um, in, in weeks that aren't big weeks on the PGA Tour. They could insist they play four of them after the Tour Championship. So what if you played four, like starting in March, March, April, May, June, say, or maybe played six, you know, and then played the remaining two or three after the Tour championship. So you're not competing against PJ Tour events so much. Maybe you say, look, you know if you play against the John Deere, we want you to give us three million to supplement their purse. You don't get any FedEx points for playing and live. So if you want to qualify for the playoffs, you're still going to have to play 15 events with us. You know? Uh, the tour obviously helps them get TV. The tour, because of their media rights deal, gets money from live because they let them go on TV. Like, in other words, there is a way they could be collaborative. Um, uh, but it, it, I think it started at having less live events. And, and, you know, in other words, we're going to enjoy this team thing for eight weeks, you know, out of the year, and it's going to be interspersed. And instead of, you know, after the players championship, well, you know, two weeks later, we're going to go to a live event and, and, and then, and it's, but it's, It's part of the PGA tour umbrella. It's on their air. It's, it's their players still competing. Um, Could that have happened? I don't know. I mean, I don't think the tour ever got creative enough to think that they ever wanted something like that to happen. And I, of course, what I'm proposing here, I throw this out there. And then there's, there's probably 10 problems I'm not thinking of that would, that would be associated with it. But if you're trying to make it work, there was probably a way to make it work and where everybody would be happy.
0: Yeah. You had noted this a a few moments ago around the premier golf league, sort of the, the, you know, people will joke that live actually cribbed their cribbed their homework and actually created it um, and put more money behind it. But what you're proposing is maybe what the PGL imagined, you know, it could have been. And so do you maybe look back at that and say, gosh, maybe Jay and the rest of the PGA tour board should have actually taken that more seriously as an option to, to maybe thwart live from ever getting off the ground, like sort of keep it within their umbrella of, of media and players and sort of releases, uh, but sort of manage it in a way where it could be additive to the schedule.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that now. I mean, I, I just don't think that the tour thought that they they were ever going to get anywhere. You know, you had a lot of people speaking out against it. But yet, by the same token, th- this was going on behind the scenes for several years Every big agent was talked to about it, every big player. And, you know, the tour just didn't want to bring on any kind of a partner. You know, they, and, and, and I guess I get that, but I mean, maybe they should have in retrospect. And this is before what happened was PGL was one entity and they had Saudi investors that were not the sole investor. And some of the PGL people thought, That might not be a good idea. We're going to run into opposition because of that. And so they believed that they could go it alone. And so they were ready to move on without the Saudis. They had gotten enough financing and other people where they felt they could pull this off, that $600 I was talking about, without the Saudis. Well, there was a group within PGL who felt, no, our our ticket is with the Saudis. And so sometime during the, the pandemic year of 2020, they broke off. And they started to do their own thing. And now you've got two competing things and that didn't emerge until the spring of 2021. And then by the fall, they're naming Norman, their commissioner, and they're the ones who are out front. And the PGL still tried to exist. They wanted them to work with the tour, try to bring them within it. And it was, I I think it was just too late. Uh, So, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh my God, the tour should have sat down with these guys back in 2020. Um, You know, maybe they should have taken it more seriously I don't know though that they were of the mindset. Wow, we're going to just blow up our model here to the point where we're going to we're going to bring in uh, uh, you know this team concept and have x number of events. I think that was probably too much too soon for them.
0: Yeah, th- this one will be ripe for case studies. You know, business school yeah. and, and others will yeah. will tear this apart for for many years, many decades to come. There's one thing actually you talked about being additive. There's one thing that the PGA Tour has done. In partnership with Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, this idea of the tomorrow and specifically TGL, this Monday night golf league that's set to start in 24. Is maybe that an example of, and we had chatted about this on a previous podcast where Phil Mickelson famously was looking for, like, you know, you said, uh, better opportunities for the superstars, better pay for the superstars. Is this maybe, you know, something where people worked within the system and carved that out? Uh, and where I go with that is, is this just providing opportunities for players that are getting the PIP, that are playing in these designated events? Is it almost another slush fund, another way to, to reward those guys? I'm curious maybe to get your thoughts on, on that whole tomorrow and
3: TGL league. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, it's just another, you know, look, there's all kinds of avenues that guys on tour have been getting paid behind the scenes anyway. So like some of the, to- some of the talk is a little bit, is, is, you know, it's a little bit phony. I mean, because there's guys in the PJ Tour that are getting paid. They have the, you know, these ambassador deals with RBC and and you know, or uh, you know, uh, the, the title sponsor in, in, in New Orleans. Um, it's it's out there. There's things that have been done for guys, may, not to this level with Live, but still lucrative. And you know, the 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 match, for example, the 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 PNC with now, you know, you've seen some of these guys show up there. I mean. That's easy money, right? Uh, and now this, this thing that Tiger and Rory are doing, it's, it's different than tour golf, but it's, it's still something different that's not going to take up a lot of their time and they're going to get rewarded for. It. Yeah, the, and they're doing it within the tour. So the tour is trying to find ways to funnel that money uh, without uh, you know, it being you know, appearance money for tournaments and that sort of thing. You know, I think it remains to be seen how popular that is. I think it's a good idea though to try just like the match was a good idea of 12 holes. Um, I think the more they can do of that, you know, uh, alternative formats, I think is a great, is a great thing for the tour to try. They, the, the idea should be to, to expose the game to people who might not want to play 18 holes or 72 holes or what have you. Now a 12 hole round of golf is, is should, should probably be accepted as, as better than none at all, you know, and, and playing golf on a simulator like they're going to do on these Monday nights is, you know, or a top golf type situation gets you into the game, right? And it might then get you onto a golf course. I think anything they can do to promote that's probably a good idea. And uh, if it means that some players, you know, get compensated better for it, well, that's great. You know, that's, that's probably helping, helping them in the long run, you know, get guys to understand that, hey, this is a pretty good place to try to be. And if you have success, you're going to get rewarded very nicely.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on sort of trying new things and experimenting. One thing that we've in some ways complemented Live on is it's opened uh, viewers' eyes, fans' eyes into, into like what rapid experimentation might do. I come from a product background. Seeing Live actually change on the fly, right? Change teams on the fly, change scores that count on the fly, you know, gives me a little bit of, I don't want to say hope, but maybe optimism that things can be more nimble and, and change over time. I wanted to pivot uh, to go back to you know coexistence as a question though and you've talked a little bit about like what what it could have looked like maybe from the beginning there's been a lot of conversations there's obviously lawsuits right now but the conversation around from Tiger and Rory saying you know Greg's got to go before we can even talk about coexistence um you know as someone that's you know had interactions with players and executives on both sides like what in your view could coexistence even look like and are our views starting to
3: soften that that is even a, a reality that, that we might be thinking toward? I, I don't think they're softening right now because of the litigation, you know, because in essence, the, 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 the PGA tour players themselves are being sued. It's their organization. I don't think they like that. It's getting contentious, you know, all the court maneuvering, you know, uh, deposing this guy subpoenas for that guy. Um, it costs a lot of money. It causes bad feelings. So until that part of it is resolved, I don't see how there can really be any friendly coexistence. And as long as they're trying to get guys to come over there, I'm not sure that, the only way there can really be any kind of peaceful coexistence is if you're allowed to do both. How you get to that point, sort of what we were talking about earlier, I'm not sure how you do that. I'm not sure how that benefits both parties unless unless you bring them under the umbrella of the tour. Um, but yet, are you then going to let this other entity take money out of it? Um, that just doesn't seem like the tour's mandate. So, if I'm the tour, frankly, they're gonna they're gonna start here in a few weeks. They're gonna have their lineup. It doesn't appear that they will be making any changes after that. Doesn't mean they can't, but it doesn't appear they will. They want to be locked in. If I'm the tour, I would just let it go. I would ignore them. I would just let them play. Let it play out. Do people get into it? Do they watch it? Do we actually care about the golf? You know, how much did we really care about the golf last year? You know, it's kind of hard. You know, I can rattle off the winners, but I I think most people don't have much recollection of what happened. Um, You know, there was so much drama and news around the league itself. That's what sustained them. At some point, that subsides, and they need to be able to. They need to do it on their own. We need to care about the results on the course uh and have that matter. And will it matter? You know, again, I think this is a big part of their team concept. And uh and, and even will the individual thing matter? Did it matter to us that DJ was their player of the year and won $36 million or something? I mean, I th- I think that they need those sorts of things to start to grab people's attention before we get to that point.
1: Um, we've just talked about coexisting and and litigation. And pretty quick, there's going to be a hearing on the litigation over with the DP World Tour. Um, a lot of people think that the international laws are very favorable to Live in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an attorney here; I don't really know what the the laws are there. But uh, if if Live wins that, and DP World Tour basically has to let DP players that are on Live keep playing the DP World Tour. Do you think that that starts dominoes moving um, towards that, that how the, how's the tour going to react to that? Because then now the DP world tour is going to have a lot of stars playing its events, um, taking, potentially taking eyeballs from tour events.
3: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the tour and the DP world tour have an alliance and this is what's made it, I think made it awkward for the DP world tour. You know, I think deep down, maybe they
1: wouldn't mind having these guys play in their events. I think Keith wants to lose this lawsuit more than anything he's ever wanted to lose in his life. Yeah.
3: I mean, you know, it's sort of like at this point, it's it's you know, we just saw the benefits of what an event was like with the live guys in it. And it's not going to be that many. You know, these guys, you know, they still do don't want to be playing 30 events a year. But because you only have to play four on that tour, it's imminently doable. You know, I mean, especially for the guys who aren't in the majors, you know, like guys like Poulter and Westwood really aren't in the majors anymore. They play four live events. They could play the Saudi event. This week is 15. They could easily add five or six DP world tour events. You're in the low twenties. You know, they could play, they could play some of their favorite tournaments and give them a boost. And then it also allows those tournaments to offer sponsor invites to guys like DJ and Phil and you know cam smith or whomever and you know it's probably in their best interest to take them up on it you know so um it's going to be very interesting you know that's that is a um uh there it's it's not a it's not a court thing it's an arbitration which is different from what i understand it's binding i i think it's binding so whatever whatever is the decision they have to go by but they have just i just think they have an easier fight when you You're saying, look, you know, Henrik Stenson said this pretty well. For years and years, we, you know, we're all of us on the European tour, we would play tours around the world and could always come back because we had, you know, the ability to do both. There was the numbers that allowed it. I mean, why would we not be able to easily play live and European tour events because we only have to play four? Most of these guys already have two under their belt. They played in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Now, I get that the, the release thing, you know, Are you going to get 14 releases? But clearly they should work that out and and look at the schedule and see what they're up against. You know, my guess is, is that some of these live events are not going up against marquee uh, DP World Tour events anyway. They're in different time zones. So it's not like you're taking eyeballs away from it necessarily. Um, They could easily coexist. And uh, look, the DP World Tour talked to live. Before they did their alliance, they talked to the Saudis about having some sort of a deal. So like it's not like this is so foreign to them and so so outrageous to them that they that they would have a problem with it in that regard because they actually talked to them, you know, so it's going to be very interesting, you know, that that's supposed to happen uh, that starts next Monday, I believe the sixth supposed to go on for a week. And then it's going to probably take a couple of weeks before um, uh, a decision is rendered. It's going to be very interesting to see. I've heard some of the same things that you've heard that's more favorable
1: over there uh, to the, to the players than it, than it, than it would have been over here. Yeah. I mean, I am talking about, you know, John Rom likes to go play the Spanish open and, and make some appearances in Europe. And that would be, in my opinion, in a way, catastrophic is a big word, but, it would allow tour players to tee up against these guys in other events besides the majors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I personally, like I refer to as coffee, like a lot of people refer to it. Like I love coffee golf there. It's great. You wake up, you can watch basically the back nine, and then you can go play your round of golf and see really good tournament golf when it's on in Europe. Right. Um, and I think candidly, the DP world tour, is interested in it, they should probably send their most junior people to go argue this and be like, oh man, Jay, we tried <laughs> real hard. We, 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 gave it our best Jay, but yeah. like, Hey, our hands are tied. Laws are laws.
3: Right. I mean, you know, they've argued the same thing the PJ tour does. They have rules. They have rules about protecting their sponsors releases. Uh, frankly, you know, rules that were written by their players. That's the, for the players. I mean, so, um, I, I, I just don't know the legality of it. We've never had this before. You know, the PGA Tour has had this rule, 15 events, the, the, the releases, you know, we own your, your, TV, your media rights. Nobody's ever challenged it. It's just there's never been an entity that's come along to really challenge it. People have complained about it. People have argued about it. Greg Norman argued about it 30 years ago. When he tried to start his own thing, it got shot down. You know, it's just not that easy. Finally, there's somebody that's come along that has the resources to do it. And now it's making everybody think about it. Yeah, it'll be
2: really interesting in 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 Europe for this this arbitration because essentially the the DP World Tour has been doing this exact thing forever. It's just been releasing their players to play the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they, they they've never really questioned you know Henrik Stenson playing eighteen on the PGA Tour and then four DP World Tour events and calling him a member and allowing him to play those four no problem. So. It, it it's an interesting domino, I think that 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 will have some deeper um, connotations and, and downstream effects if it comes out favorable for the live players.
3: Absolutely, I mean the PJ tour. The PJ tour has allowed the same thing as long as you played the 15. Right. You know, like you were allowed to play. You know, Rory is allowed as a he's allowed to play his home tour, which is the European tour, DP World Tour. He can play as much as he wants in Europe with no restrictions, as long as he plays the 15 to play outside of Europe. Like he needed a release to play in Dubai. Okay. Big deal. That's one tournament. All right. So, and the the tour is easily going to give him that no problem. Um, uh, Where it becomes an issue though, is if you don't play the 15, this happened to Martin Keimer several years ago. Um, That's right. Right right after he had won the U S open, I believe it was in 2014 he was not playing all that great and he didn't do the numbers properly and he didn't make it to the playoffs. And so he didn't have the 15 events. The tour would not let him be a member the next year, but he was still allowed to play like 12, seven sponsor exemptions, the majors and the players. Um, but he couldn't, he wasn't eligible for the FedEx Cup. So, you know, they, they were hard line on that um it's it was, it's different in europe it's changed all you know the the four tournament rule has basically been viewed as the rory rule you know they did that to because they they want him to play in the ryder cup and they to be able to play in the ryder cup you have to maintain the, the tour minimums and i think it used to be you had to play nine including the majors or 10 or something like that and now it's just four outside of the majors and uh so um you know that was their compromise and um, obviously a guy who wants to make a living wants to play more than four times, but uh, you know, it would give them a little bit of a boost in some of these tournaments. And again, we just saw it last week in Dubai. It was a, made that tournament a lot better having some of those live guys in there.
0: Well, we, we touched on a lot of topics, Bob, and I think we could almost spend a podcast on each one of these threads that we started <laughs> to pull, but we, we like to to have our guests answer a, a series of questions we call the emergency nine uh, a couple rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll start off and, and I'm, I'm curious because of this uh, picture I see behind you and the hat you're wearing, uh, but I'll start with this first one. What is your favorite golf course?
3: Uh wow. My favorite. Well, you know what? It would, it would, uh, it would probably be Augusta. Yeah, I think so. I got to play it a couple times. It's a pretty cool experience and uh, you know, it's just so pristine, but you know, there's a lot. I love I love a lot of the courses in the UK. I've played, I've played at St. Andrews. There's, there's a lot of good ones that aren't even part of, you know, championship golf that are. Yeah. That's incredible. the next
2: question is what's your, if you know, since, since you picked a tour course, what's your favorite course, not on tour on, on a competitive tour, we'll say. How about North Berwick? There you go.
3: Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's not a tour course, but it's just really fun, enjoyable. You know, I think, you know, for average golfers, like I am, I think Lynx golf is a great way to go. You you're typically not having to carry it over a lot of hazards. And yeah, obviously there's creeks and burns and what have you, but you're, 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 you're able to get away with your misses a little bit more. And, um, obviously if it's really windy, that's not any bargain, but it's fun.
1: Great. So now that we know where you're playing, who's your, who you're filling out the foursome with?
3: Oh, I got to believe tigers in there. Um, I think I'd want to play with Pat Perez and, um, uh, you know what? How about Max Homer right now?
1: <laughs> It'd be fun. Yeah, yep. That, can, you can... know
3: what? That force them probably changing a bunch over time. I just think there'd be so many guys that you'd love to get to do that with. How about your favorite
0: golf hole? Right, that could be one you've played or one you've covered, but favorite hole.
3: Um, my favorite hole is probably the uh, seventh at Pebble Beach, the little par three, right? I think all of us feel like we can hit it on that green, you know, so it's um, even though it's not
1: that easy. All right. So when you're out playing, you're, you're under stress, favorite club in the bag, the one you can trust the most. Eight iron. I love it. Same. Yep.
2: Who's the tour pro that's flying under the radar right now. That That's going to, that that's going to just coasting along and, and we're going to, is going to make a splash soon that, that, that we're not thinking of.
3: I think Tony Finau. I mean, he's, he's not, you know, he had a good year last year at the end and all of a sudden, you know, all this live talk and Rory and Scheffler and Rom and, you know, uh, Max Homa, Tony Fino is laying in the weeds a little bit. I, I I'm sort of expecting big things out of him in the majors.
1: Uh, Speaking of expecting big things, what do you see for Tiger's future?
3: Great question. Um, You know, I was thinking that he'd want to play at Riviera in two weeks. I've heard no rumblings whatsoever as to what, where he is, which makes me wonder if he's not able to do it. You know, um, I'd be stunned if he's not at the Masters. But this plantar fasciitis thing that came up here in December, you know, that's no joke. It's it's painful and it's and it's clearly been a setback. I I got the sense that he was making progress after the Open that he was moving along and getting better. And then that came up and now it's set him back. And, you know, the only way you get over that is to rest it. And so is Riviera going to be too soon? You know, he dearly loved to play his own tournament. So then we start looking at beyond that. You think he wants to play one before the Masters. So the players makes a lot of sense, especially given, you know, him sticking up for the tour. Why wouldn't you want to play their signature event? It's a flat golf course that isn't that long. Um, I think could, could make some sense for, and I don't think Bay Hill's the place for him anymore um, given how difficult that is and the rough and everything. So I would hate it though, if he shows up at the masters, not having played, you know, I just think that that is just such a big ask. It was huge. What he was, what he accomplished last year, but it's just so much. So, you know, without, without getting a lot of information from him, like, I think we, we can gather that he's never going to be a hundred percent with that leg, but I mean, can he get to 75? You know, I don't even know if he's at 50. And so unless that can happen, I think it's going to make for, you know, very, very limited amount of golf for him.
0: So I'd like to know, uh, is there a person you, you'd like to interview alive or dead? And maybe we'll say non, non-Tiger Woods category. You can have a day. You can even give him truth serum. Who, who are you uh, choosing to interview?
3: Bobby Jones. I think that would be terrific. You know, I mean, this, amazing to be able and 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 let's throw in ben hogan too you know um a guy who didn't do very many interviews i think that would be pretty wild i mean pretty much all the other ones i've i've probably talked to at some point you know at at least at least on a limited basis jack arnold lee trevino gary player all those guys but that that uh that that sort of generation before um you know that would be pretty neat
2: I will get you out of here on this, Bob. Uh, we are the Living It Up podcast, so we want to know what do you do outside of golf slash work to, to live it up?
3: <laughs> I'm going to disappoint you there, guys. I don't, doesn't seem like a whole lot. Yeah, geez, you know, God, go to, go to some uh, Thai restaurant or something like that. That's probably my big thing. So I'm pretty boring.
0: <laughs> well, a, a foodie foodie is a man after my own heart right there. You can never have yeah. too much uh, great, great food. Well, hey, Bob, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for uh, for taking time and sitting down with us. As I mentioned, we could spend a lot more time on a lot of the threads yeah. that we pulled, so it's it's a treat to, to be able to chat with you. Obviously, you wrote a book uh, kind of recently, we talked about this uh, to get started, the the Tiger and Phil book. We joked maybe even that it came a little bit too soon. Uh, how can folks, you know, follow you? Are you going to write a, a sequel to that book now that we've got a lot more juicy material?
3: Yeah, I sure would love to. I mean, because those two guys have, you know, take gone in opposite directions now on this. You know, if, if anything, it it sort of it sort of puts a a um, you know another finer point on their rivalry. You know, they 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 never really saw eye to eye on a whole lot throughout their whole career. They had some points where they came together for the Ryder Cup. They came together when they wanted to do the match and that sort of thing. That was when, you know, their careers were sort of waning a little bit. Um, you know, Tiger reached out to Phil when Phil won the PGA. And, you know, like there was, there was good vibes between them then. And now it's gone the other way. I mean, Tiger's clearly in the PGA Tour camp. I'm sure he has a lot of issues with what Phil's done and vice versa. So, yeah, it would be great to add, you know, a bunch more on that because – it just shows you, you know that for 30, 25 years, they sort of have gone down different paths, and those paths now remain quite far apart.
0: Well, we look forward to uh, potentially a sequel down the line. But in the meantime, we'll have to rely on your uh, your sports Illustrated journalism <laughs> and what what you do on Twitter. So thanks again for for your time, and we look forward to watching the next uh, next season unfold
1: before us. Yeah, keep yeah. up the good work. love love reading how you're you're playing it pretty straight out there. so that's it's fantastic.
3: Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.